Shapeshifters. Shapeshifters on The Money Show. Welcome to The Money Show. Tonight's shapeshifter is Professor Nick Benadell. He's the Dean at the University of uh, Pretoria's Gordon Institute of Business Science. You hear it referred to on the program as Gibbs. And he's got a very impressive career, which started out in the mining industry, but only after he received the very best education that South Africa could provide at Rhodes University. But before Rhodes University, Nick Benadell, where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Cape Town for part of my childhood. Uh, My parents came back to South Africa when I was 10. Where had they been? They'd been all over the place. I, I happened to live in six countries by the time I was 10 what in Yemen. What did Dad do? He was a fighter pilot in the war and then in the Royal Air Force after the war. Okay, so you were a military kid. I was. I was a military brat and we lived in different <laughs> countries. Three I years, was polite, yes. Three years a country. Uh, Germany twice and the UK and then Yemen and then Kenya. So I grew up with a Big appetite for travel. But again, how does that influence, uh, you know, because those influences are are built into us very early on with that nomadic sort of lifestyle? Well, sadly, I lost all the languages because I spoke fluent Arabic when I was a little kid, as much as one does at the age of six, and Swahili and German, but I lost them. But I think it it sort of gave me a zest for travel and a curiosity about people. Uh, So I remain a, a constant traveler. Okay, so they, 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 you grow up and they come to back to South Africa, take, bring you to Cape Town at the age of 10. Where do you go to school? I went to Rondebosch. You went to Rondebosch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warren Ingram, our regular personal finance guy, right. will be delighted because <laughs> um, he's an old Rondebosch boy as well. Uh, and that and that Rondebosch network is strong, I think. It's a, it it's a very it's a good public school. school. Mm, it's good and school. it remains a good public it does. school too. I gave the uh, prize-giving speech there two years ago and loved going back. It's a great school with a great tradition. Uh, and and it, is that tradition important in education? I think it is. You know, I, I, I spoke at Maritzburg college uh, last year also had a prize giving and to see how that school has gone from being a colonial school keeping the good traditions and and learning all the new is a wonderful thing in this country and we've got very good high schools mm, we must say we do have very good high schools uh, you you leave there and you go to the the fine Rhodes university where you do a proper degree um as a bachelor of commerce what was the intention with the bachelor of commerce well, well i was very lucky firstly to get into university because i just slipped my way out of school in terms of grades i was what a, yep a late developer you don't want to know my grades i do no, you don't. Oh, and, yes, I uh, do. And then I uh, did the BCom, but also did a lot of rowing, and I was involved in a student organization called ISEC. ISEC is the business organization. It still exists International, today. absolutely. Very strong in South Association Africa. for International Business Students. Yeah. yeah. And then I became the president of that, and then I went to New York and London for a while. And that really did open my eyes and gave me a panoramic view, which was wonderful at the time and unusual in the 70s. Okay. And, and so that that's where we are in the 1970s, because, I mean, I'm, a lot of emphasis is put on matric. We put a huge amount on matrics, on people, on kids writing matric. Some sail through matric and bomb out later. Some are gifted and go through life without any without any hiccups at all. But some kids just are not designed to cope with matric and matric-style exams. And you were clearly right. one of those kids. Or, or maybe just aren't ready. And, and uh, those opportunities I had uh, in, through ISEC really gave me a fantastic global view. To mm. work in New York, I was in the uh, global head office of Mobile Oil, June 16, which changed my life. 1976, I, June 16th, you were there at Mobile. I was there. I remember the telex clattering. A pall of smoke rose over Soweto today. I'll never forget it. Changed me because I was able to read the literature I couldn't read here. And because I was far away, I think it had a bigger impact on me. And then I came back in 78 and worked in the mining industry for a while. Where did you work? I worked for a company that became part of Rand Mines. And I worked in the commercial area of that, first as the PA to the CO and later in the commercial area. That, that old-fashioned concept of being PA to mm. the CEO mm. has stood so many people mm. in wonderful. most wonderful stead. Who, who was the CEO at the time? There was time? a guy, man called Simon Doherty who I remain uh, very affectionate. 
uh, great memories of him as a leader. And I sat, I took the minutes, and I sat in that Exco for four years every Monday morning and never made a sound, which people find hard to believe. <laughs> like, who, who was that young guy in the corner? Um, but, but is that, should we be, should big companies be reintroducing that concept? I know Mark Lamberti did it at mm. MassMart with Grant Patterson, mm. for example. Anglo had it for many years. Anglo's had the long tradition, sure. and people sure. like David, the late David Gleason and Michael Spicer went through right. that tradition sure. as well. Gavin Reilly was a PA. Was he? Because Gavin Reilly became the chairman, of was course. a PA himself. Was Julian Ogilvy Thompson, Tony Traer. So uh, it was a great route. Uh, it, ha- it has pluses and minuses, I think. It was a great It's mentorship for, in, the, in mentorship. its most basic it sense. Passing on a lot of tacit knowledge, feeling, insights. And I suppose uh, I had a bit of that uh, in the mining business I was in. Do we lose that without, without that tradition being sort of followed? Well, it's funny. We were talking about it today. You know, how, how much you learn by observing and other people's mistakes and successes. A lot of knowledge can't be captured in books. Uh, they have to be captured through experience. You can observe it or you can do it. And uh, a lot of that knowledge uh, is get, gets lost intergenerationally. Absolutely. So new generation brings a different style, more technology, whatever it is. But the older generation have, have scars that shine. And uh, that's very important knowledge in an organization. What was the biggest lesson you learned in those four years of sitting quietly in the Exco meetings? Watching team behavior and, and how that got played out and how skillfully the CEO managed to balance the tensions between production and marketing and HR and finance. That was a business school in its own right. Uh, and, and many people look at that and they look at the school of hard knocks. I mean, you're not going to like the quote from Kevin Hedewick who describes SAB Miller as the best MBA in South mm. Africa because, of course, your business is based on, uh, on executive education. But, but it's, it's a reality that if you are privileged enough to work, to be a junior in a senior level and be exposed to that sort of stuff, it's the most remarkable insight you can ever well, get. Well, of course, ideal is the blend, right? So sure. you know, our MBAs are mainly part-time, so they're all in jobs. And so they're always translating and carrying back and forth the knowledge and practicing what they learn. So I think it is that mixed exposure, as we've seen with the German education system, study and work and study and work through four years of education is a great way to do it. Is that what you base Gibbs on? No, I think okay. it's a pattern of business schools in South Africa generally. But yes, there's no question we design it for that. Um, at the end of a long day or for four days or now for 10 days, you can come and pick the way you want to do it. But it is to carry it back and, and apply what you learn all the time. Mm. Um, how long did you stay in the mining industry? Uh, I was there for about five or six years. And then I went to do my MBA in, in the Cape. And then I went... Where was that? At UCT? At UCT. I did the full-time MBA, which the company sponsored, which was very, very generous of them. And then I came back to the group and my uh, division had been sold off. So <laughs> uh, I didn't have a job. So we were then part of Barlow Rand, as it was called, okay. Barlow World today. And they'd paid for it. So I said, you know, how are you going to use me? And they made the astonishing offer at the age of 27 or 8 to run a company that was in in trouble, about 300 people. And I went to do that in in the heart of Denver, but not in Colorado, in the south of Germany. And it was a company called GEC Equipment. GEC. The British GEC was in a joint venture with Barlow World. And I ran that for a while and I learned great lessons and and had the wonderful opportunity to apply what I'd learned in the MBA as a general manager at at a very young age. At that time, the MBA was a rare commodity, wasn't it? It was rarer then than it is now. Um, but yes, I suppose it was. Well, you know, the South African business school system really got going. Uh, in fact, the University of Pretoria opened the first MBA in this country in 1949. What? And as far as we know, it was the first MBA offered outside the United States in the world. But the UCT and WITS came along in the 60s. Um, 
And so it, it, there were less MBAs. Uh, we still have too few, I think, but maybe we'll talk about that. Uh, but it was a wonderful program. I mean, it was intense. We worked seven days a week, 16 hours a day for a year. Uh, I've seldom worked that hard. Be, there, there are people who are critical of MBAs. There are people who sit on the sidelines going, oh, MBA, mm. but they've never lived through it. Mm. I've, I've been a participant in an MBA mm. and it cured me of the desire forever because that's proper work. Um, it is, it is, it mm. is a very intense commitment that is made well, I think by it changed, I mean, go through the process. Yeah, and I partly changed my career. I started teaching part-time afterwards. I want to get onto yeah. that in just mm. a moment. Our shapeshifter this evening is Nick Benadell. He is the Dean at Gibbs the Gordon Institute of Business Science. He's painting a fascinating history of uh, a life of growing up uh, as a child of Royal Air Force parents around the world, growing up in Cape Town, and then into the mining industry, did the MBA at UCT and ran his first business at the tender age of 27. At what point do you get into business education? Because that's a big leap out of mining and then manufacturing uh, and then into teaching people how to do it. So uh, for a while I started teaching part-time because I, th- I thought I might enjoy it. Uh, I'd been as president of a student organisation. I did a bit of teaching there. And I used to teach on Saturdays with a hangover for Damlin. Uh, I used to teach marketing. And uh, I loved that. And so I started thinking about was that possible as a career? And I bumped into some people I knew at the Witz Business School and, and uh, quit my job and did it for three months and said, this is what I want to do. And more cheekily, I wanted to teach strategy at the ripe age of then, I think, 30 and, uh, is, does age matter when it comes to teaching things like know, strategy? You know, I'll tell you teaching who, people who are older than you. I'll tell you who was in my first class was Mark Lamberti. <laughs> so is that and, is, and is it he Mark looked, Lamberti's genius or was it your teaching? No, no, it was his smarts. And I, <laughs> he stood out. I remembered him. He used to sit on the right. I was teaching a course. I mean, uh, this is the fun of it. I was teaching a course I'd never studied, which was industrial <laughs> marketing. And uh, Sandra van Ameva had, had left. Yes. And I replaced it at very short notice. And uh, he stood out in that class. I remember him very distinctly. How um, much of a nightmare student was he? How no, no, he wasn't. No, no, he was a good guy. He wasn't well, argumentative. No, no, he was very probing. But so were others. And, and yeah. most of them were a little older than me. So that was your question. Mm. I think we always say at Gibbs, you know, when you walk into that room, someone's going to know more about what you're saying than you do. So pass up. Yes. Know, pay attention. Um, because the style is, is one of engagement. Is, it and is. There is nowhere to hide. Yeah, it's engagement, it's participation, it's interaction, it's putting people on the spot, you getting put on the spot. And so uh, it's a wonderful way of learning uh, that's come out of business schools and law schools are pretty similar. This uh, classic Socratic, here's the yeah. question, what would you do? Um, so it's a very powerful way, which takes a while to learn. Socratic and, teaching, I've experienced it a few times yeah. at, at Columbia and places mm. like that, where you just, it blows your mind because nobody's telling you anything. Correct. You actually have to think. Correct. Oh, yeah. that's the hardest part of learning. Is, and, is and what people taught me in the early days is you must be where the students are, not where you are. So you've got to let them pass the ball amongst each other in the room and put them on the spot and dig into the why of their answer all the time. So the, the real, the, the fantastic proponents of this art, it takes years for yeah. us to learn, I think, um, is that method. And that's the excitement of it. And, and while I did my MBA, it was the same. Every session, I was at Harvard once as a guest and I walked into the class and I thought there'd been a fist fight in the class. <laughs> and it was before the professor started and they were discussing the case, who was right and who was wrong. It's a wonderful atmosphere. Yeah. At, at BITS, um, and BITS at the time was a legendary business school. It really it really was at its peak, I suspect. Um, what led the move away from BITS? Because I think the next move was to Gibbs. And 
started. No, no, well, well before, what happened is I spent three months doing this and decided if I was going to work in the field of strategy, which has been my love, having run a company and mm. so on, I decided I had to get a doctorate. So I skittled off to America. Okay. And I spent, I went to a v- totally unknown city at the time called Seattle. <laughs> which was another lucky fluke. They, they, they created something in computers and made some coffee famous. Not I then. Think. Not then. Yeah. Was so that before then, computers and coffee? Oh, long before. Yeah. And so what happened was, uh, you know, Seattle had Boeing and apples and timber. It was a backwater like Pittsburgh. And I arrived there and I remember that in, in recent memory, they'd put a billboard next to the city that said, would the last person <laughs> leaving Seattle please put out the lights? And then there was this boom. This unbelievable – I watched Microsoft grow under my nose because I used to go to see our clients and there was a single-story building and then there were two of them and, and then it eventually became what it did. And many of my students went to work there. So I spent four years there in the 80s, um, very homesick, away from what was yeah. happening here because the pot was beginning to boil. Absolutely. Came back in 86, got quite politically engaged and uh, went back to Wits as a lecturer and then in 1992 became head of the school. 1992 became head of the Vitz Business yeah, School. So what led to the departure from Vitz? Sorry, my departure from Vitz. So I spent 13 fantastic years there. Uh, the bureaucracy was a bit of a challenge. Because uh, you're part of a university. You you're are not independent. You want to do things that are different because you've Entrepreneurial. got Entrepreneurial. And you've got to move at the clock speed of business, which is a little quicker than the university life. So I had wonderful years there. And then I, and then I, got, I, I quit the job. And wasn't sure what to do next. And then Johan van Seyl, who now runs Sunlam, was the vice chancellor at Pretoria. Of course and was. I met him almost by accident. And he said, come and work with us. And we, we fashioned out this idea of this crazy idea of starting a business school in Elovo, because it's part of the University of Pretoria, yes. uh, in Santon. And uh, he was, he's a fantastic guy. And he just got behind the idea. And off we went. I, I think he's, he's massively underrated as a um, as the, for the level of influence that he has exerted in South Africa in South Africa he's an extremely uh, smart individual and he's done a great job for Sunderland as he did for the university Mm. so he and I hit it off and we decided to to get this venture going and um, he he did I did negotiate fairly hard for a level of autonomy uh, that is a little unusual and they've been the university's been fantastic at supporting that Um, but it's paid off sorry it's paid off well, I hope it has. I was, yeah. I'm not the judge of that, but I, I hope it has. Well, anecdotally, it has paid mm. off. Mm. Um, the Donnie Gordon connection, the Gordon Institute of Business Science, did he so, write a great big fat check? So I'd known him uh, because I helped start the School of Public Management at Wits, okay. and he funded that, so I knew him from there. And we went with this crazy idea to him, and he got behind it. So that's why it's called the Gordon Institute of Business Science. And, of course, one of South Africa's greatest business people. And he did put a bit of money behind it. Uh, the university put most of the money in, but he made a very big difference and Wendy Applebaum and Hilton are, are supporters of the school and we're very grateful for their support. This year is the 50th anniversary of the Unitrust industry in South right. Africa, started by Donnie Gordon. Gordon. I mean, On he's, top of a bus. He's done the most remarkable, remarkable things in, in South Africa. Mm. Where, where does business education go to from here? Because uh, one gets a sense that there are lots of MBAs, there are lots of people doing it and they uh, almost a commoditized business, which is going to annoy you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it is a commodity. I think it's which MBA you do and what you bring to it and how hard you're willing to work at it. Um, so, you know, you'd have an MBA from Harvard is very different than an MBA sure. from maybe somewhere else. Um, we're very strong believers in general management in the MBA, that, that we're trying to help people run a business and be in the C-suite. Um, and uh, I think it does depend on where you do it. And there are now 13,000 business schools around the world, whereas 40 years ago it was an American thing and then the Europeans took it up and now China has 1,000 business schools. Um, 
I think we're under-providing still because the central question for our economy is how do we run our institutions? And South Africa has a fantastic record of business institutions. I don't don't think people really understand that there's no country of our size that has produced more globally competitive companies than South Africa. But they're so consolidated and somehow we need to broaden the the business field. We need to create access to capital and access to startups. But you can't ignore the fact that there's this tremendous asset and I've been an ambassador for it and always will be. Uh, and, and and what's the future hold? I mean, Gibbs. You every time you drive past Gibbs, there's a it's a construction site. The place is uh, ever evolving and, and growing. Well, we've tried to respond to to people's needs, and you know, we've got full at times where we've managed to expand. Um, the future holds. We're going to keep doing what we're doing and try and do it better. Um, Two thousand people a week come to the campus. It's very very busy. It's busy seven days a week. I was there on Sunday afternoon. It's chock a block. Uh, South Africa needs uh, this kind of uh, education, we believe, and we setting out i've got a wonderful team and we're hard at work uh, every day of the week nick benadell the dean at gibbs